Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, it is a privilege to be able to worship together, having a sweet time of worship here today, lifting up and praising the name of Jesus, and now being able to get into his word. Um, next, in two weeks, we are going to kick off a series called the 10 Great Words for Life, where I'm going to be walking through what it says in the 10 Commandments and why that's important to us and why it's something that we need to know. I was going to start that today as an introduction, and I decided to wait until after, uh, to two weeks from now. Uh, next week, Grant Clark will be visiting here and he'll be speaking and Grant is joining our staff um, at the beginning of June, mid, beginning to middle of June. Uh, you're going to be blessed to have him here as part of the uh, pastoral staff at Journey. He's going to speak next week, so we're going to start this series on the Ten Commandments two weeks from today. Today's message, I would, do, I would really term it this way. It is a pre-introduction to the introduction to the Ten Commandments that we're going to be starting. So this is an intro to the intro, and uh, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Today's message is called, What Does God Want From Me? Let's pray as we get into this. Father, help us to hear from you. May you be glorified and honored. You are the one that rightly deserves our praise. You sacrificed everything for us. You gave of your life, went through a brutal uh, torture uh, that we deserved. You hung on the cross that we deserved. You took all of our sins upon you. We deserve that punishment, yet you took it upon yourself. So today, Lord, we come with gratitude in our hearts. We come with thanksgiving toward you for all that you have done. Help us, Lord, to respond to you rightly, to respond to all that you have done by giving of our lives. Father, teach us now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to every one of our hearts the individual message that you have for us today. Be in this place, Lord. We want you here. We invite you here. We rely upon you, Lord. And it is in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The reason behind the series that I am going to be going into is based upon a book that I read this past fall. The book was by an author by the name of George Barna. Some of you may have heard that name before, the name George Barna. George Barna is one of the leading statisticians and pollsters in our country, and he is a Christian primarily speaking about and writing about and statistically reporting on the state of the church today. The book that I read was just a simple uh, book of statistics, and it was called The American Worldview Inventory 2021, uh, 2020 and 2021. In this, it described the state of the church today. I'm going to give you some of the statistics to let you understand how, how the church is moving further and further away from God in many aspects and in many cases. Listen to these statistics. In the survey that they did, looking at the state of the country, they found in the survey that 71% or 71 out of 100 people, 100 adults in our country describe themselves as Christians. 
71 out of 100 people would say, well, I'm a Christian. But what Christian means to them is very different from what Christian means according to the Bible. According to the Bible, being a Christian is somebody who follows Christ, who is a Christ disciple. But it's not what the world means by that. It's not what the country means by that. 71 out of 100, those say that they are Christians. But in further studies, they found that 33 of the 71 are actually what are called notional Christians. Notional Christian is simply this. It's somebody who does not believe and does not embrace eternal salvation through a personal relationship of confession of sin and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. So 33 out of that 71 say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't believe in that. That right away moves them out of the Christian category. They're not Christians if they don't agree to the eternal or to the essential doctrine of the church. That leaves 38 out of 100 people who would say, we are Christians, we do embrace eternal salvation through personal confession and accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 38 out of 100 people would say that. The problem with it is this, in the study and in the research that the Barna Institute did, and they found out this number, that actually it's only 6% of the country, 6%, 6 out of 100 would actually describe themselves as somebody who has a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is necessary when it comes to following Christ. And only six out of 100 people in our country have a biblical worldview. In the church, in evangelical churches like we are, the statistics say this, that it's 20% or 20 out of 100, we probably have 200 people in here today, that means that 40 out of the group in here today would say, I have a biblical worldview. Now, I hope those numbers are off. I hope that it's far more than that in our group today, but that's what the statistics say, that 40 out of 100 in evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. Now, what is a worldview? You may ask that question and wonder what a worldview really is. A worldview is the multidimensional filter through which which you process life. It's how you interpret life. It's how you make decisions on life. It is the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual filter through which you make every decision in your life. Every decision is a direct response to what your worldview is. And only 6 out of 100 people or 20% of the evangelical church say the Bible is the filter through which I make every decision in life. That's very troubling to me. The filter is, is most evident in your life when it comes to the big decisions of everyday life, when it comes to your moral, your relational, your vocational, your financial, your sexual, your religious, your lifestyle choices, that's determined by the worldview, by the filter that you have. When I was living in Sioux Falls, my wife and I, and we had uh, two young children at the time, We were living in Sioux Falls. This was about, I think it was about 1995, if I remember right. We had just bought, Jennifer and I, our very first house. The house was a little ranch-style house. It was a wonderful house in a wonderful neighborhood. Had a huge backyard. Really loved this house. The very first house, again, that we had ever owned. 
One day, it was the middle of winter, and I was coming home from work. At that time, I was working as a, in, a, in a counseling ministry as a biblical counselor. And I was coming home for, for lunch. The house was empty. Jennifer was out doing something. I don't know where she was at at the time, uh, probably out shopping somewhere. But, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, she was out of the house. I came home. The house was empty. And <clears throat> I walked into the house, and it smelled like it was burning, the house smelled like it was on fire. And I thought, this is not normal. This is not right. It should not smell like this. So I walked around the upstairs, and I couldn't find anything that was wrong. I walked downstairs into our basement, and I went into the furnace room. And in the furnace room, in this mechanical room, the, the, the burning, smoky smell was coming out of our furnace. And again, I thought, this is not okay. This is not right. The furnace smelled like it was on fire, and it was running as hard as it possibly could. It was just working tremendously hard. And uh, I knew right away, this is not good. I shut the furnace off. I called a person to repair the furnace. They came over and repaired it, and what they found was that the motor on the furnace completely burnt out. Now, the reason the motor burnt out is because the filter that draws air through it was completely plugged up. The filter was full of a thick layer of dirt and dust and grime. Being a brand new homeowner, I didn't think about checking the filter of the furnace. That simple little filter that would cost a couple of dollars because I didn't replace that, it ended up in the, in the motor burning out, and it was a couple hundred dollar repair to get this repaired on a simple little fix. That same analogy is true for our worldview. Your worldview is a filter through which you receive and you process life, through which decisions are made, and our filters are plugged up with everything that is anti-God. How does your worldview get shaped? It gets shaped by the messages that you hear. It gets shaped by the things that you watch on TV. Your filter is shaped. Your worldview is changed by school. Some of us go off to college, and when you go to college, you may think you have a firm worldview, but you get to college, and that worldview is challenged, and it's completely destroyed, and your filter becomes plugged up. Your filter becomes plugged up with politics. It becomes plugged up with social media, with the uh, actors and actresses in Hollywood. It's all plugging up the worldview filter that we have. And as a result, most people in the church today, 80% of the church today, does not have a biblical worldview. We don't look at the Bible as that important. The biblical worldview is critically important to being who God wants you to be. To living the life God wants you to live, it is vitally important that your worldview become a biblical worldview. You are being challenged every day with messages you hear around you that is shaping your worldview. Most people don't go to the Bible because that becomes the source of what our worldview should be. So throw out everything else and start going to the Bible as the source for your worldview because that is what will shape us and change us. That is what will direct us and help us to make decisions. Well, today, 
and the message that I have, I want to share with you, again, just as an intro to the intro, what exactly does God want from me? What does God expect from me? In this relationship with God, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to change? Where does it all begin? Well, today I have for you Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 as the outline for this message. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this about what God wants from me and what God wants from you more than anything else. Paul writes these words. He says, I beseech you, therefore. I want to stop right there at that word, therefore. It's in bold and underlined on the screen. You can see that before you. He says, I beseech you, therefore. The question, anytime you see in the Bible the word, therefore, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Why is it there? What is the reason behind the therefore? What was Paul saying? Well, Paul in Romans 1 through 11 gave us the reason why he's going to tell us to do what he's going to tell us to do. Now, what happened in verses one or chapters 1 through 11? In chapters 1 through 11, God, uh, Paul is describing the problem of humanity and God's solution to humanity. If you want to do an interesting word study, go through the book of Romans and read all of the instances where the word therefore appears. If you put all of those verses together, you have a summary of the gospel in Paul's statements where he starts out and says, therefore. Let me give you some examples of this. The very beginning of the book of Romans, Paul is saying this, that the, the world, mankind is corrupt. It is evil. It is far from God. It is wicked. It is a, a horrible place. This, the, this problem with the world is the corruption of humanity. Now, as a result of the corruption of humanity, God is going to basically say to them these words. He is going to say, therefore, God gave them over to the uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Humanity is corrupt. Humanity is wicked. Humanity is evil. Therefore, God says, fine, go your own way, do your own thing, live your own life. I'm not going to make you follow me. Humanity is corrupt. Therefore, God says, I'm going to give humanity over. They can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they please. A loving God has basically said, if you don't want me, then go, go do your own thing and live your own life and go your own way. Paul then says, because God has made himself evident to the world, because through the creation, through God's attributes, God has made himself known to the world, therefore, we will be without excuse. So therefore, he's given them over. Therefore, we are without excuse. What that's going to mean is this. You're going to stand before God someday. And if you've not trusted in Jesus, you will stand before him and you will say, well, I didn't know. And God will say, yes, you did. Everything about me is evident to you. You have no excuses. How will it feel to stand before a God who says you have no excuse? What are you going to do at that point? If you've not trusted in Jesus, that is going to be a scary moment in time, standing before a God who says, you are without excuse. Well, there is a solution to the problem, the problem of corruption of humanity, and the solution is this, that God sent his son to take upon himself the sin punishment that we deserve. 
He sent his son to be our righteousness. He sent his son to take our punishment that we could put all of our sin upon him, trust in him for the forgiveness of our souls, and God will forgive us. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Yeshua Messiah. We have peace. Mankind was corrupt. We are without excuse. God sent his son. Now we have a way to be made clean. When you trust in Jesus, when you have experienced salvation, by saying, God, I admit I am a sinner. I admit I need you. God makes you clean. And then he says, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you stand before God, you are not under con uh, condemnation. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. All of that brings us to what's next. Now what? What is next? Paul says this, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. If you have been saved by faith through grace, then these verses are for you. These verses are the now what? What do I do with this? Here's the answer to the question. God, what do you want? What do you want from me? God wants this. He wants me, he wants you, he wants us to live the best life possible by experiencing and walking in a consecrated life. What is a consecrated life? Well, that's what we're going to learn here today. A consecrated life, there are four things I want to talk about this morning. Consecration's foundation, consecration's description, consecration's expectation, and consecration's reward. And I'll try to do these fairly quickly. Number one is this, consecration's foundation. What is the reason behind, what is the foundation, what is the motivation to be consecrated in life. Well, the foundation and the motivation is God's mercy to me. God's mercy to me. Romans 12:1, starting in the beginning of the verse, it just says this. It says, I beseech you, therefore. Now, I want you to just, I'm gonna work through these and I'm gonna pick apart the words one by one. Um, not all of the words, just some of the words. I'm gonna start with the word beseech. Paul says, I beseech. In the Greek language, it's the word parakleo. It's the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Paracleo is this, I urge you, I'm coming alongside of you, I'm asking you to listen to me, I'm begging you, I'm entreating you, and I'm gonna put you on the spot. That's what Paul is saying. You ever been put on the spot? Somebody wants to invite you to their party. They're gonna have a party, maybe it's a birthday party, maybe it's an anniversary party, maybe it's a graduation party, and they're going to invite you to the party, so they send you a note in the mail, or they send you a Facebook invitation. Maybe it's a wedding. They're gonna invite you to the wedding, so they send you a Facebook invite or an invitation in the mail. Those are pretty easy to ignore. They can just slip right into the garbage or just right into the delete or the not paying attention to the Facebook invite that I receive. 
The word here means I'm going to get up in your face and I'm going to press you for a decision. You ever had somebody come up to you who didn't send you the Facebook invite, but they came right up to you and said, will you come to my party? And they're looking you in the eyes. That's a little bit harder to ignore, isn't it? It's a little bit harder to uh, say, no, I don't like you. I'm not coming to this. It's harder to do that. You feel guilty. You feel put on the spot. And so you say, yes, I'll be at your wedding. I'll be at your party. I will be at your anniversary. I'll be there. Yes, I will be there. You came and asked me personally. That's what Paul is saying. I'm putting you on the spot. I want you to respond. Paul is expecting a response. I beseech you, Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice those words, by the mercies of God. This is the foundation. Why do we respond? Because of God's mercy to us. God's mercy that I just described happens in Romans 1 through 11. The mercies of God are tremendous. That he was willing to come to a completely fallen and sinful humanity who was completely helpless and completely hopeless, and he offered the complete sacrifice of his son so that we are completely forgiven and all of the righteous requirements of the law are completely met. It's a complete job that God did. I don't know if you've ever thought about or asked or really contemplated the enormous price that Jesus played for you or paid for you, the enormous price. I remember going and seeing The Passion of the Christ, the uh, Mel Gibson movie. I remember going to the theaters and seeing it. I think it was about 2003, maybe 2004, that that came out. And I went to the movie and I saw that. And I was so overwhelmed that I was, and I'm not a crier, just so you know, but I was so moved that I could not stop crying after seeing that movie. I'm not an emotional person. I said before, I'm not a hugger. I, I'm not emotional. I'm not a crier. But that movie touched me so deeply because what I saw and witnessed was a brutal torture that Jesus went through, his skin being ripped away, his muscles being ripped open so that you could see his rib cage. You saw the tremendous pain, the brutality of the, the thrown, uh, corn, uh, crown of thorns being placed upon his head and then beating him over the head. You saw the beatings that he took so that his face was dismart. The, the, the Bible says that you couldn't even recognize him. He was so brutally beaten. And then they took him to the cross and they nailed through his hands and through his feet. Do you know, when they would have put that nail through his hands, it would have been really the wrist. The whole word for, in the Greek for hand describes the whole wrist area. And so they would have put it through his wrist, that that would have severed the medial nerve that would have been the primary nerve that it would have caused tremendous pain until he died. Just from that. He was on the cross his body was beaten and bloodied, ripped open, and yet he had to move himself up and down on that cross just to breathe. They would have crucified somebody with their legs bent so that they could push up. Most of the reason people died was suffocation. And they would push themselves up, their back wide open, rubbing against that rough board behind them. Pushing yourself up, the excruciating pain of pushing yourself up on a nail put through the feet, through the ankles. 
and how excruciating that would have been. Have you ever thought and considered what God has done? The price he paid for you and me. We don't deserve it. Yet he took the, that's called the mercies of God. And why did God do it? So that we wouldn't go to hell. Hell, and I'm going to speak about this down the road, about the difference that the Bible says with heaven and hell, but hell is the place that you do not want to be. It will be suffering for eternity in a way you can't even wrap your brain around. God's mercy set me free. God's mercy put Jesus on the cross. God's mercy caused him to be tortured instead of me. And when I think about the mercies of God, I want to respond. He paid such an enormous price in purchasing our salvation that we should respond in adoring surrender to him. But here's the problem. Very few people think deeply about what God actually did. Very few people think and contemplate the price that, he's, that he paid for us. There's a principle here and a truth here that I want to share, and that is this. People who think lightly about Christ's sacrifice, they surrender lightly to God. But the people who think deeply about Christ's sacrifice surrender deeply to God. Are you one of those who surrender lightly? Or are you one of those who really surrender deeply because you understand and you know the enormous price that was paid for you? Salvation cost God an enormous price and we should then respond in adoring surrender to him. So Paul says, I beseech you. This is the foundation of consecration. It is God's mercy. Number two, God, uh, consecration's description is my body that is offered it is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It's not a ritual. It's offering my body to God as one who says, I will be yours forever. That's what consecration really and ultimately is going to mean. Here's what he says at the rest of verse one. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, Let's again go through these words and understand what is being said. Paul says this, I urge you, I beseech you that you present your bodies. You. Why, why does he say you? Because it is a requirement of each one of us. I can't make the decision for you. I can desire it for you. I can hope for you. I can pray for you, but I can't make the decision. I have learned that with my kids especially. I can't make the decision. I can't want it for them, and it's up to them. They have to make the decision. It is you that have to make the decision. It's a personal decision every one of us in this room or watching online has to make. I have to make the decision. Will I really present myself? You present yourself. And then he says the word, I want you to present. What is the word present? In the Greek, it is the Greek word paresteme, and what the word literally means is to present, to offer, to provide, to, to place a person or a thing at, at one's disposal. You are putting yourself at God's disposal. 
Now, I want you to think, this is the same word that is used for sacrifices every time they happen in the Old Testament. A bull or a lamb or, or a goat, whatever it was going to be used, was put on the altar, and as it was placed on the altar, it was presented before God. Now, they didn't just take the offering and just throw it up there. They were very careful about how they presented it. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, there were 30 steps involved in how they presented an offering. To present means to offer up. Now, let me give you an example of this. This example comes from, actually, my mother-in-law. Uh, I love when she had said this, and I really, I really uh, identified with this. When you are presenting, you are consecrating. What does it mean to consecrate? It means to offer up. Here's the example that she used in a very practical way. She said, it's like your dishwasher. Your dishwasher, when you go to your dishwasher, you take a dirty dish and you put it into the dishwasher. That is what consecration is. You are placing it into the dishwasher. And then you close the dishwasher, you put in the detergent, and it cleans the dish. When you open the door, now you have a clean dish. You are presenting it dirty, and you're getting it back as clean. Consecration is where I present myself to God. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You present him as you, you, present him as you are where you're at today. I'm not clean. I'm not perfect. I, I'm a mess, but here I am, God, and you trust him to then do the work of cleaning. That's called sanctification. You consecrate yourself. You offer up. You present yourself, and God, in turn, will cleanse your life. When you present something, he says, I want you to present yourself, your bodies. What is the idea of bodies? The idea of bodies is all attachments to ongoing life. Everything you're attached to, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your marriage, your children, your parents, your plan for life, what you're going to do with life, your body is all attachments. Everything that I have been attached to, God, I am putting it all on the altar for you. And he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice, an animal that was to be sacrificed, like a lamb, could not get on the altar and say, you know what? I'm willing to give 25%. I'll give you, you can take one leg, I'm keeping the rest. A sacrifice couldn't do that. They couldn't say, I'll give you 50%. They couldn't say, I'll give you 75%. When a sacrifice was put on the altar, it was 100%. It was a consuming fire. It was an irrevocable gift that was given to God. And so Paul says, it's time, I urge you, I beseech you that you make the decision, that you consecrate and offer yourself up, that you put yourself on the altar, all your plans, all your dreams, all your hopes, because this is your reasonable service. Let me give you one more word, two more words actually, reasonable the word reasonable in the Greek is the Greek word logikos. It's where we get our word logic. He's saying it's logical. This is your logical response to God. 
who did everything for you, who gave his life for you, who sacrificed himself. Now your logical response is you put yourself on the altar and you become totally in for him. That he becomes the all-consuming. This, this is your reasonable, your logical service. Service was what a priest would do. This was the priest who was making that offering. This is your logical decision that has to be made in response to a God who gave everything to you. And when you do that, life will begin to radically change. It'll change everything about your life. It will change, hands down, your marriage more than anything else in life ever will. It will change your parenting. It will change your job. It will change your outlook, your finances. It will change everything about your life. When you come to the point where you say, God, all that I am and all that I have, I'm laying on the altar before you. That's consecration's foundation, God's mercy. Consecration's description, it's my body offered. Next, consecration's expectation. And that is this, it is my mind is transformed. This is the logical outcome. If I want to live the best life possible, what am I supposed to do? Well, when I put myself on the altar, now he begins to transform my mind. Paul says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those two words are incredible. He uses the word conformed. Now, the word conformed is the Greek word soskemadzo. Uh, you don't have to remember that. Don't try to write that down. But it simply means it's the word that we get that means scheme or it means to be squeezed. Don't let the world scheme you. Don't let the world squeeze you. We are squeezed and schemed by the world. Do you know that the world tells you how to think? It tells you how to act. It tells you what to believe. And if you don't believe it, if you don't say it, if you don't act it, well, we are going to cancel you. We are going to shame you. We are going to ridicule you. We are going to put so much pressure on you until you finally give in to what the world wants you to do. We have seen example after example of those things happening. Across the country, people being fired. Across the country, people being, uh, being rejected. Across the country, being people giving some kind of an apology for something that I supposedly did, which I never really did, and that is the way the world is squeezing you. When you are a college student, you leave as a, as a you know, you just finish high school, you go to college, the college starts to squeeze you. You go into your job, your job starts to squeeze you. You go into, um, go into friendships, they start to squeeze you. It's squeezing you away from what God wants and squeezing you into the world's mold. Do not be conformed, he says, to the world. Don't have a world view based upon the world. Don't have a, a, a world uh, view that is going to be dependent upon what everybody else says. Don't fall to the schemes. Don't believe the squeezing. Don't believe the lies. Instead, he says, when you have laid yourself on the altar, now you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the word transformed is interesting. It is the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. Do you know what a metamorphosis is? It is one creature changing completely into a brand new creature. 
And you have a couple of wonderful examples. There's actually three that I know of, three examples of a transformation, a metamorphosis. You have a tadpole going to a frog, tadpole breathing underwater, no legs, you know, at all, just a tail. Now they are completely transformed, metamorphosized into a frog that is breathing above water with legs now and lost the tail. You have a caterpillar that goes to a butterfly, That's another example of metamorphosis. There's a third one that's really a gross one, and that is a maggot that goes to a fly. That's a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis is you are being completely and radically changed, starting in your mind. The mind has to be changed. We have patterns in our minds that we have bought into and believed and lived according to all of our lives. For the alcoholic, you are naturally drawn to a pattern of alcoholism. And in fact, for some of you, you have a hard time breaking free from it because your mind has been shaped. The shaping of your mind looks like, in my opinion, it looks like if you looked at the mountains and the mountains had a lot of snow on them and then they melted in the spring and the water would run off the mountains. The water always finds a natural path down the mountain. The more it flows, the more water flows, the more that that ravine gets carved deeper and deeper and deeper. For some of us, our minds, because of the patterns, because of the world squeezing, it has been a deep gouge through our minds that have to be completely changed. The renewing of the mind is where God cuts a new path and he makes a new pathway down. And he changes the old way that we were. When I come to him in response to his mercy, and I, and I offer up my body, I put myself on the, on the altar, God, all that I am is yours, all that I will ever be, all my plans, my hopes, my dreams, my marriage, my children, it's all yours, then he begins the work of transformation. And some of us desperately need that. We need him to transform us, to change us, from the inside out. Number four, as a result of that, we understand consecration's reward, and that is that God's will is known. Probably one of the most common questions that I get asked from people is this, what is God's will? How can I know God's will? What is God's will for my life? Well, when you present yourself, you've been saved, you put yourself on the altar, God, all that I am is yours. I'm offering myself up. He starts to transform my mind. Then I start to understand and have revealed for me what his will actually is. Here's what Paul says. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you come to him in consecration, offer yourself up, and God begins to change your mind, you start to have a biblical worldview, he starts to heal the ravines that have been carved in your mind, then I start to really know what God's will is, what his ultimate plan for life is. You may not know what his plan is, but by offering yourself up, by allowing him to renew your mind, you will have his plan unveiled before you. So the question today 
is this. And this is how we launch into the Ten Commandments, which is, by the way, going to be different than I think any of you maybe have heard before as we talk about the Ten Commandments. But it starts with this, God, am I really all yours? Have you presented your life back to God saying, I am yours, Lord? It's troubling that 80% of the evangelical church does not have a biblical worldview. It's troubling because the Bible is supposed to shape our worldview. It's troubling because many people are willing to compromise and many people will fall away from what God's word says because they don't have a biblical worldview. The Ten Commandments that we are going to get into is about having a biblical worldview. Understanding what God wants for my life, how I'm to live that out, It is for the Christian more than for anybody else in the world today, and that's what we are going to dive into. Have you presented your life back to God saying, I am yours, Lord. I am putting myself on that altar. If you've not made that decision, perhaps today is the day where you just before God say, God, I know I have trusted in you. I know that I've been saved. I believe in salvation through Jesus. It's not my own. You have done it. It's a gift from you. I've trusted in that. I've confessed my sins to you. I've received forgiveness from you, but I've never fully surrendered my life to you. And today I'm ready to put myself on that altar. Say, God, I am yours. I'm sick of my life. I want you to run the show. In light of what God has done, what you have done for me, Jesus, I want to offer my body. And then God, please start to renew my mind and change me from the inside out and help me to understand what your will, your perfect will actually is in my life. Let's pray together. Father, I want to lift up and pray for those in this room today who have never fully said, God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. I'm all in. I'm putting myself on this altar. Lord, I know that there are many people that are here today or watching that are ready to say that. God, I'm sick of it myself. I'm sick of running this. I want you. I want to follow you. I want to be committed to you. Lord, there are many people in this room who are willing to say right now, I am putting myself on that altar and all of my hopes and all of my plans and all of my dreams, my family, my kids, my job, my finances, it's now all yours and under your control. Lord, do the renewing work of our minds. There are many in here who just identify with that, that they need their minds transformed and changed from the inside out. They have been battling the same thing over and over again all of their lives, and they're sick of it. And so, Lord, for them, transform their minds, renew their minds, and help them to be different. Father, we thank you for being with us today for this time of worship that we can have. Lord, as we leave this place, bless, protect us, and help us to be the church in this community and provide hope and healing to those that we encounter. We thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. 
Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.